Spring sessions are in the books in Iowa City. Have the Hawkeyes improved? What work is yet to be done? And who will be on the field that could be new in black and gold in August? Welcome to the Voice of College Football and our Hawkeyes live edition that we bring you each and every Tuesday at 4.30 Central Time. And the guy that, of course, shows up each and every week and makes this all happen is Corey Bratta. Check out his channel from the Hawkeye of the Storm and also on your favorite audio platforms. Corey, how are you doing today? Doing good, Mark. Man, this is, uh, I feel like we're turning the calendar to summer. I know it's not, we're, we're not even close to that, but when spring practice is in the books and the weather starts getting a little warmer, a little bit more consistent, I should say, um, as you could, as you knew on Saturday, <laughs> the, the weather was weird at Kinnick, and I guess I wouldn't have any other way for a spring game. We had ice falling from the sky and 30-mile-per-hour winds. I think we had wind chills down in the 20s, so... I'm happy it's sunny now, and and we made it through spring practice, and uh, lots to get to, lots of speculation, but lots of uh, observations from Saturday. I was watching the Wisconsin, the Colorado, the Nebraska, whatever spring games were on on Saturday afternoon, and I was kind of bundled up here and um, and kind of cold myself and lamenting the weather, and it was like in the low 50s, and then I saw your your report there from Kinnick Stadium. And I thought, okay, I've got nothing to complain about. We are happy to announce that we believe we've connected with Coach Don Patterson. Don, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I apologize, guys. I'm, as Corey would tell you, Mark, I'm, I'm a IT challenged. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Every time I get into those kind of situations, people just assume that I am like technically savvy and that could be the furthest thing from the truth. So, hey, we are just glad we can see and hear you. It's a great pleasure to have you on. We appreciate it. Glad to be here. So Corey and I just uh, just got it started and we're talking about the weather on Saturday. But uh, beyond that, we'll dive deep into the football here and and I guess I'll get us started here. And again, Don, this is quite a pleasure. And if uh, anyone out there is watching us not aware, we are simulcasting uh, on the main channel as, uh, in addition to hosting this show this week on the Iowa channel. This is uh, Coach Don Patterson. He was on the Hawkeyes staff from 1979 through 98, offensive coordinator there for six seasons, six or seven seasons, then was the head coach at Western Illinois. And Don provides just amazing analysis each and every week with Corey during the college football season, during his uh, post-game live show. So, Don, the first thing I'm going to hit you with is is injuries because this, this roster is really banged up. And you've had to manage that situation. You play in a physical sport, not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And blocking and tackling are vital and have to be practiced. But at the same time, you know, where do you draw the line? And how do you kind of gauge your cues from how the team's taking the the physical level of practice? Yeah, I was talking to Kirk about that before the scrimmage on Saturday. I shouldn't call it a scrimmage, of course, just another workout. And uh, he mentioned that they started practice one with uh, eight offensive linemen. And then on practice two, they were down to seven offensive linemen. And they've recovered a fair amount since. But as you probably know, there were no less than four linemen projected to be starters that were not involved in the scrimmage. That's certainly not what you want, but that's the reality of of college football, I think. It is a collision sport. You're right. Uh, Here's the good news I was mentioning to Kirk. I said, the good news is so many of these key players that are missing uh, 
today were guys that were missing because of off-season surgeries that were necessary. And uh, for that reason, at least you didn't. At least you know you're not going to get them hurt today. They're not going. What worries you the most, of course, an injury that might occur in practice 15, because let's face it, September's not that far away, and every month makes a difference in terms of rehab. So the good news, those guys that missed because of off-season surgeries are all projected. Matter of fact, those four offensive linemen that might end up as starters are all projected to be healthy come June. So they'll have a productive summer. And with a little bit of luck, of course, they'll all stay healthy during camp and be ready to go come September. Don, is it fair to say that this is this is just the norm? I mean, having multiple guys out per unit, it just seems like this is – and every spring we have the same conversation, and I'm not saying you're making excuses, but if the development's not there in fall, if we don't see incremental pro- – or I should say exponential progress, for instance, with the offensive line, I'm not going to be going back and say, well, we had all those injuries in the spring – because I feel like we've had that, that we've fallen back on that notion for multiple seasons. The, the line has not been good for since 2020. This just seems to be part of college football. As Mark said, being a collision sport, you're going to have guys out. Yes, and the thing that we always emphasized, and, and I know Kirk does emphasize it, uh, and that would be mental reps. Just because you're injured does not mean you cannot learn from one practice to the next. You know, you have to learn uh, from the other's mistakes, too. And if you just pay, pay close attention to those practices that you're not physically a part of, you can still improve from one day to the next. Corey and I have had the conversation concerning the wide receiver play and the wide receiver room in regards to both quality and quantity. And, you know, there's obviously a component involved that uh, you weren't able to take advantage of, and that's the transfer portal that's got to be driving these coaches crazy. But in a situation like this, at least there's an opportunity and an option to go and pursue some talent. Uh, Don, based on what you saw uh, in the scrimmage and your other access to practice and so forth out of this wide receiver room, you know, what what do you see there knowing what's required in the Big Ten Conference from this position versus maybe what they need to go get? Yeah, that's my concern, Mark, honestly. Uh, you need to have at least one, if not more than one, receiver that is very capable of taking the top off the defense. Uh, and the thing that frustrates me, sometimes coaches nowadays are so preoccupied with trying to find 6'3 receivers that they fail to realize some of those guys that are only 5'10 have unbelievable speed and quickness I, what comes to mind for me is that guy that that uh, played a year ago for the Chiefs and played for the Dolphins this past year. What does he measure? 5'10", maybe. Uh, I don't know that he's that tall. Uh, and as Corey could tell you, Mark, and you remember some of these names too. Uh, years and years ago, we had a guy named Tim DeWight. Uh, he wasn't very tall. Uh, he was uh, actually a high school running back that that we knew had a great opportunity to convert to wide receiver. And, of course, he was an All-American kick returner, punt returner also. So the bottom line, you got to find guys that can scare the defense. Uh, And right now we simply don't have that. And it's our own fault in some ways because, let's face it, we can sell opportunity. What is a very difficult sell for our staff right now is scheme. You know, we simply did not do a good job of getting the ball to wide receivers last year. Uh, Part of that, you could argue, was because we had a couple of outstanding tight ends but the bottom line, of course, if you're playing receiver, you want to see the football a fair amount. And we didn't do a good job of, of, um, of putting the ball downfield. That was another problem. 
um, you know, it's you're in the business of entertaining um, entertaining fans too. And one thing I always liked about both uh, men's and women's basketball at Iowa is they had a priority on scoring points. You know, they were their offenses were designed uh, to attack the other team and and to put up points. And sometimes we did get outscored. I'll admit. But even in those rare cases, even even the national championship game, it was still entertaining because we didn't. Hopefully Don's feed will reconnect here. But uh, Corey and I can continue the conversation and hopefully Don is able to come back through uh, and get that cleared up. That was a sharp cut, Mark. It was just like, yes, streaming our sentence to be over. <laughs> Sometimes it does that to us. Yes, absolutely. Um, now you're is. back. I apologize, guys. I think I think you lost my signal for a while. Yeah, no problem. You mentioned loud and clear now, Don. Good. I don't know how much of that last commentary got to you. We missed about ten or fifteen seconds. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, Don. Uh, you brought up playmakers and explosion, and and I think you mentioned uh some sort of a obligation an obligation to the fans and this is in the entertainment industry there's an yes. interesting question I, I don't want to get away from football talk but uh, part of our discussion in my po- in my post spring practice wrap up show on Saturday on my channel it turned into people wanting to talk about the Brian Fe- Ferentz press conference from earlier yes. in the week. Don I just wanted to ask you a question on that so Brian was asked during that presser he was asked uh by I believe it was John Steppy of the Gazette. Um, you know, there are fans out there that have lost patience with the offense over the last couple of years. And John asked Brian Ferentz specifically, what is your message to those fans who have lost patience? And Brian's response was, I don't have a message. Uh, uh, in a word, disappointing. Disappointing because we, let's face it, we should be very grateful for our fan support. We, we enjoy outstanding fan support, and um, and we should be apologetic about the fact that we haven't been more productive on offense. Um, you know, at the very least, the fans would like to hear some kind of assurance. We're aware that we've got a problem with with all of that, and we're taking steps to correct it. But to suggest I've got no message for them suggests that you're being defiant and being a little on the hard headed side. Yeah, I, I didn't rub me the right way either, Mark, and that's why I wanted to, to to bring that up. And we can get back to football. Absolutely. Well, that's that's certainly on the on topic, and, and to extend upon that point, uh, and I'm sure Don, you know this, that there are factions of people out there, and I'm not talking about just everyday run of the mill fans, but I'm talking about people that that know the game pretty well that would make the statement that because of where I was located, that there are limitations to recruiting and those limitations are tied to positions and schemes and therefore you have to build a run first offensive line heavy lean toward the running game play action pass type of concept at Iowa and that's just what you have to do uh, to, to be competitive well the reality Mark as you know I was here for 20 years and and one of the things I used to sell in terms of recruiting in describing our offense, I would I would tell a prospective recruit, we're the kind of offense that can run for 300 one weekend and throw for 300 the next. And that's what makes you difficult to defend. you got to be able to threaten on, on both run and pass 
And that gives you a chance, of course, to always have an answer to what the defense is doing. Don, I have to ask you uh, what you saw Saturday. One of my big takeaways, I talked about it on the, the show Saturday, and I talked with Mark briefly on his Big Ten show last night. Um, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the tight end group right now. I, I didn't know heading into that final scrimmage. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of hype around Eric All coming in. Obviously, he's coming off a back injury, but he was projected to be an NFL draft pick the year prior. Um, you have Luke Lachey, who's a year older, although you lose Sam Laporta. And that was really my hesitancy with crowning this tight end room, you know, to be one of the great ones. But boy, those two guys with Lachey and all, and it appears that uh, Addison Estringa has maturated from a strong start last fall uh, as a as a true freshman to where he yes. looks the part now as a, so- as a true sophomore. And Steven Stilianos was brought in via the transfer portal last year, was the only guy Iowa added via the portal last year. He's a year older. This is his final year, so it's now or never for Steven Stilianos, and he looks the part as, as it relates to uh, physical traits. He's a big guy. So there's four guys, Don. I, I feel pretty good about that tight end room. I would venture to say, even without knowing up and down the, the rest of the conference at that position, it's probably the best tight end room in the Big Ten, one of the best in the country. Yes, I think we're going to have the same good productivity out of our tight ends that this upcoming year as we did last year. We lose Laporta, but we're still in great shape at tight end. Don, you got to bear with me because obviously I only get to talk to you maybe once a year. So, you know, I'm just ready to fire away. Okay. And, uh, Corey gets his privilege all throughout uh, the the fall. Uh, in In regards to the offensive line, you know, this is – what most people consider to be a strength of Iowa football would be the offensive line. Uh, there have been individual players that have been, you know, as good as anybody in the country, Tyler Linderbaum being the most recent example of that. Uh, but the offensive line has not reached the level of play that we're accustomed to, I would say, over the past three to five seasons. Uh, you know, your thoughts about the offensive line in regards to what, where the issues have been in regards to going from recruiting to signing to developing the kind of lines that uh, we are accustomed to seeing at Iowa. Well, as you're aware of, Mark, we, we pride ourselves in being a developmental program. And let's face it, there have been all kind, any number of offensive linemen that came in without uh, much fanfare that le- left here as first-round draft picks. You've seen it more than a few times. So we obviously do a good job of developing individual players. Uh, the problem runs in uh, really can be identified more. I made this comment when we had we had a great center a couple of years ago, or or Tristan Wirfs is another example, of course, an outstanding individual. The problem with having one great offensive lineman, uh, he can precisely block one defender. Uh, he's going to probably do it almost every snap of the game, but. The bigger question, of course, is how do those other four guys compare to that one that one dominant lineman? And the bottom line, of course, you need to have five guys that are above average. If you happen to have a great one or two, that, that helps. But it only takes one defender uh, to beat his offensive line counterpart uh, to be able to cause problems at times. And that's what we've run into. I don't want to put all the blame on, on the offensive lineman. Uh, great backs, of course. You always hear that expression: they can make, they can make a guy miss. Well, the great ones make the first guy, the first tackler miss uh, more often than those that aren't so great. So uh, I can make an off, an average offensive line look better than they really are. And Kirk used to talk about that even as an offensive line coach. 
I do recall in a meeting, we'd be down to maybe one available scholarship and Hayden would go around the table and ask everyone to make their argument for that scholarship going to them. And I do recall Kirk as a young offensive line coach mentioning coach, I could use another lineman, but if, um, if Carl Jackson has a, a back in line, that's, that's uh, another outstanding individual runner. Uh, let's go after him because he'll make all five of my linemen look better just because he can make people miss. We've had those kind of backs through the years. And I do think, as Corey probably has already mentioned to you, I do think our backs are above average that are in the program right now. Uh, so I think we're in good shape there. Uh, the problem we have, and another part of the, the issue, is simply play calling. Uh, you know, an offensive lineman – um, any offensive lineman will tell you that uh, outstanding play calling can give him a chance to excel more so than, than anything short of that. And so um, part of our problem, of course, is we don't, we're not, we don't play to win so much of the time on offense. We play not to lose. So I'd like to see more aggressive play calling. Uh, you know, that was the way Hayden always was. I learned from Hayden, and that's the way I always tried to do things at Western Illinois, too. Don, Corey and I would have this conversation on a weekly basis throughout last offseason after this team won a Western Division championship but produced an offense that was 123rd in the nation. And on one hand, we just thought it was statistically impossible, nearly impossible to be any worse than that just because there's just too much talent. There's just too much know-how on the coaching staff. It's Iowa football. It's a top 15 to 20 brand in the country. Just how could they possibly be any worse? But at the same time, you know, we also had the, the, the conversation that, well, if you look at the personnel differences, they've lost the best center in the country. They've lost arguably their best running back. They lost by far what turned out to be their best wide receiver. Maybe they'll be worse, like from a personnel standpoint. And then it turned out to be just about that. So to kind of take another simplistic look at from year to year production on the offensive side of the ball, and if they have any real hopes of getting better, I simply serve up Cade McNamara. You know, this is a guy that comes in as a transfer quarterback uh, who has, you know, accomplishments under his belt, has obviously shown that he can lead an offense in big games and produce points, even though he's not a dynamic, game-changing kind of quarterback. He certainly seems to fit this offense uh, like a glove, and you would think that he comes in ready-made as a leader, as a guy that's going to make the right decisions that's just automatically, if nothing else gets in the way, can make this offense substantially better by himself. Yes, I think so, and that's not to beat up on Spencer, but uh, Kate has played in a lot of big games and played winning football in a lot of big games, too. Uh, he does uh, possess outstanding leadership ability. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question. It would be hard to imagine that we're not going to be better on offense, if only because of an upgraded quarterback. That's such a key position. And I think Cade McNamara has a, um, a little bit of a burr under his saddle, as Hayden would say. You know, he's determined to demonstrate to Michigan, I think, that that uh, maybe he's a little better than what they give him credit for. Don, I'm curious, uh, your take on uh, the offensive line as it relates to the interior of that line. Logan Jones, second year, I mean, Mark alluded to the fact that we're just two years removed from 
one of the best centers that have ever has ever played here in Tyler Linderbaum and Logan Jones struggled. We saw his backup on Saturday struggle with exchanges. Jeremy Chaplin was did not have a good day on Saturday. I think that's fair to say. Uh, fumbled a couple of exchanges in limited work. And I would put I would put part of the blame on Joey Labus also. Okay. You know, you've always heard me say, Corey, if the ball goes on the ground and a center quarterback exchange, then don't blame one, blame both. You yeah. need to have the mindset, let's get our heads together, let's figure out what we can both do better to never ever have another one of those. And it looks to me like Joey, I think the center he he he's really a, a pretty short guy, I think, that backup center. And he really carries his butt low to the ground. And Labus, of course, is fairly tall. And he was struggling to get down there in, in a position to, to be able to ride that center when he snapped the ball and charged forward. And so the ball came up short a couple of times. Uh, I give I give Labus some of that blame, too, of course. You've got to solve it as a, as a pair of players, not as one. But you're going to get Rusty Feth in there, whether he ends up playing center or guard. He'll probably play guard. So how confident are you with Logan at center? What did you see from Logan Saturday? I know we haven't seen Rusty Feth yet, but he's got a lot of experience, albeit at the group of five level. And then whoever, I mean, I guess take your pick of who the other guard would be, whether it's Jennings Dunker, Tyler Ellsbury, Bo Stevens. Uh, Just your thoughts on the interior, because that's been a a, a spot of weakness ever since Tyler left. I do recall even years ago, a a young Kirk Ferentz, in talking about offensive line, uh, he made a comment one time. He said, you know, everybody wants an outstanding two deep, but he said the reality, even for the best programs in college football, you're going to be fortunate if you always can find eight offensive linemen that can play championship football. Uh, you know, it's it's unrealistic that you can have five backups that can all play winning ball. So what you're hoping to have, of course, is a backup center that can play winning football, a swing guard, one of those top three guards has to be able to play both left and right. And then, of course, you're hoping that two out of three are always healthy so that you can always have those as starters. And then the same thing at tackle. You have to have one tackle that can play both left and right. That may sound easy to people, but some people simply struggle with that. You know, you're a right-handed player on one side of the formation and a left-handed player on the other side. So it is, it is an acquired skill. Uh, any conscientious player, I think, over time can learn how to flip from one side to the other but it's not something that comes really naturally and obviously the assignments uh, require a little bit of mental gymnastics too to recognize whether you're lined up at left guard or right guard that there's a a mental process there too of course if you're switching over during the same game of course you might end up playing both spots so uh, i i don't know that we can get to eight proven offensive linemen Um, that's got to be our goal because that's a, a goal that we should always have and the reason I bring that up is because I, I personally have more confidence. I know that they deal with injuries, but more confidence in the guys on the outside, although we've not seen Dejon Parker at the D1 level. Uh, right. We have confidence in, in his athleticism and maybe, you know, you, you brought up his feet uh, when you watched him on tape, but we haven't seen him out there yet. And I've got confidence in Mason Richmond. I would hope that by year three, Mason becomes a good, not just average left tackle but a good left tackle I mean, this is his third year starting so they, they you can't play the young card with these guys anymore up front and so i think my, my biggest question marks are are in the interior and again a lot of bodies i know you said that they had some injuries don but let's be honest there were a lot of guys who played last year that played saturday i mean i just true. bo stevens tyler ellsbury jennings dunker uh logan jones i mean you go down the list there are a number of guys 
I don't know how much time those guys missed. I mean, we're just looking at one practice, but the clock has is beyond ticking on the offensive line. How concerned are you with the wide receiver room at this point? I'm uh, very concerned. Okay. I'm very concerned. I did have a chance to visit with Nico during the during the practice. He was on the sideline. We had an interesting talk, and I it was easy for me to brag on him, Corey. And you can go back, and Mark might even be aware. I went back to the Nebraska game. I said, Corey, uh, Corey, listen to me. I said, Nico, you're one of the few players that I thought really, really, um, you know, uh, showed up at the right time for us to be able to get back in the game. Uh, and you might recall how inspired he was. He was healthy again. I think there were a few weeks there where he was less than 100%. But he played an outstanding game against Nebraska. You probably remember that, Corey. Um, and we still we still lost the game. But two players in particular came to mind for me, and that was Lachey at tight end and, and Ragaini at, at wide receiver. Both those guys did a good job after the catch. I don't know what his stats were for the day. He probably had maybe 75 yards receiving any number of which were key catches that, that went for extra yardage because he was fighting to get on down the field. Uh, so the reason I wanted to talk to Nico in such a positive way, I mentioned to Nico, I said, Nico, you're going to be one of the key elements on an entire, our entire football team because you without question have to be the leader, um, bar none, anyone else in that room. You've got to be the guy to bring along these inexperienced receivers and these guys that are new to the program and to set the proper example with them. You've got a huge leadership opportunity, and we're going to need you to rise to that challenge, and I'm sure you will. Uh, I think he recognizes that that room has to come through. My singular most uh, fearful thing for the fall to both of you would be I'm simply worried that a team with decent corners will decide, you know what, I think we're going to be fine just playing all day long in single coverage and it doesn't have to be all man free. You know, that's one way to play. But, of course, you can just play with three deep zone coverage, too, and, and cheat those flat defenders toward the ball uh, on both sides of the formation. And you can you can obviously outnumber um, outnumber the blockers with how many tacklers you might have near the football. And if, if your corners can hold up versus those wide receivers, then you're in pretty good shape. I don't think there's any doubt. That's a concern. We have to, we have to find – not just one receiver that's good outside. we got to find at least a couple. It's kind of hard for me to imagine that we can play winning football unless we can find, bare minimum, two receivers to be on the field at any and all times. And ideally, of course, you can go to uh, three receivers at one time and, and be able to threaten the team um, in even greater ways down the field. But bare minimum, you got to have two. And, and, um, and Nico, of course, is not to be confused with Tim Dwight. You know, he doesn't have – he didn't have home run speed that we'd like to see in a receiver position. And for that reason, we have to be we have to be really, really good at catching each and every ball we have to that we have to get our hands on. And of course it all starts with being able to put the ball on target. I don't thought there's think there's any doubt that Cade can throw with good accuracy. The question is it relates to Cade, of course. Are we going to be able to give him time to throw? Are we going to be able to stay ahead of the chains? That's another concern. We averaged less than three yards per attempt last year in running the football. And that's despite uh, um, most acknowledgement. Most would acknowledge that we had a average to above average running backs. So the problem was more with the run blocking, sustaining blocks, than it was with the guy carrying the ball. 
Uh, so obviously we got to pick up the pace. We need to average at least three and a half yards. Ideally, you'd have four yard average or so. That gives you a chance to be on, um, you know, on pace with uh, the chains and maybe even stay ahead of the chains. And now, of course, you can be more effective with play action passes because you can lull people to sleep by how well you're running the football. So those are all concerns. My concern is on early downs. You're going to see single coverage outside. They're going to they're going to they're going to pack the box and they're going to dare you to throw the ball. That's my concern against a team with two good corners. Mark, if I could just quick follow up to that about the wide receivers. Um, I don't know. As I'm sitting in the stands, you were on the field Saturday, Don. But as I'm in the stands getting footage and and just trying to digest as much as possible in a short period, I don't know, man. I was just sitting there thinking, you got one scholarship guy out there. One. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I, I understand there are three guys who are out. Nico, I think, ma- mainly precautionary. It sounds like Bostic is on his way back. Uh, it does not sound great right now for for uh, Seth Anderson. Um, I know he's dealing with a hamstring, and from what I was told yesterday, he's a ways off. And, and Don, remember, Keegan Johnson was hamstrung, no pun intended, literally all season last year. Now, he had some – I understand there were some complications with his hamstring that maybe the public isn't aware of, but I, that's my big fear, man. They bring him in, and he's just, he's just uh, hamstrung all year. Uh, so that I'm I'm concerned injury wise right now, Mark uh, Don. In addition to just pure numbers, and yes, I, I and mean, there's, there's no doubt we need we need a quality receiver uh, that can scare the opposition, and and we got to get him out of the portal. Of course, it needs to be somebody that's played some college football already and had some success. Uh, the problem we run into, of course, is a tough sell. And is it hard to imagine that an opposing coach that's also recruiting that same receiver? might mention the fact that Charlie Jones went from 25 catches to 100 catches in one season. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty amazing jump in terms of productivity. And um, obviously, Purdue does a good job of utilizing their wide receivers that do have that kind of talent. Charlie certainly had above-average talent. Uh, you know, he was um, ineffectively utilized by us. And then – and then um, of course, utilized very effectively by Purdue. Believe me, Don, uh, Corey was, uh, I, I drove him nuts last season. It, it actually started with the first half of the Purdue-Penn State game on opening night where we were trading texts back and forth. Did he see that? Did he see this? Oh, yeah, 100 yards receiving at half. And then that continued throughout the season in regards to Charlie Jones. I expected him to be highly productive at Purdue. I didn't expect him to catch 110 passes. That's just crazy. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's really, it's really um, embarrassing to have to acknowledge that he was underutilized at Iowa. Uh, Corey, you remember me making the offhanded comment to you that from the previous year, I think our most reliable receiver is Charlie Jones. And we had a couple of hot shot young receivers that showed great promise, but Charlie was a reliable, productive receiver even from that previous year. And let's not forget, too, you know, Mark, you brought up the fact that they lost the year prior. They lost Tyler Linderbaum. They lost Charlie Jones. Um, who else did they lose? Who am I missing on offense that they lost that year? Uh, Tyler Goodson. So they lose those They lose those players. Don, with all due respect to what you just said, and you're right, but they did lose. This offseason, they lost Arlen Bruce to Oklahoma State, and they lost Keegan Johnson to K-State. 
So these people who I know Keegan Johnson didn't play much last year. Those are two big losses. And this is a room that was already in a bad spot. That's true. They add Seth Anderson, who I, I really like. Right now he's dealing with a shredded hamstring. And, you know, he's never played Big Ten football. He's never even played high-level FCS football. Uh, right. He played at Charleston Southern. Don, you're, you're, you're one of the kings or princes of FCS football. Charleston Southern is not a power program. They're not to be confused with South Dakota State, no. No. Uh, or Western Illinois in your heyday. So right. it, it, I, I'm just acknowledging that. I, I, I like Seth. I like his – he's got great blood, obviously, football blood, and, and I hope he gets back. But they need to go to the portal, uh, Don. And A.J. Henning's a guy who's out there right now. I know Hawkeye fans are kind of buzzing about him. He's the guy from Michigan that entered yesterday. Talk about a, I don't want to call, compare him to Tyreek Hill, but you talk about a small guy. He's 5'9", maybe 5'10", has a history with Cade McNamara. Based, you know, I, I talked with Mark yesterday uh, briefly. It was probably around 5 or 6. And you know, at the time, I felt pretty positive that Iowa would have a pretty good shot at him. I'm not going. I'm not reneging on that. But based on some information I learned last night, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel nearly as as confident about that. Now we'll wait and see. Um, I just don't feel as confident as I did when when Mark and I talked about 24 hours ago. So I don't know. It, it doesn't. Iowa. You're not seeing Iowa's name connected to the biggest names out there right now in the portal at wide receiver. Not the kids from Colorado. Not the kid from TCU. Sounds like they did have some interest in the kid from Florida Atlantic. He ended up going to Purdue, never even visited Iowa. So I don't know. I, I mean, it, at what point do you get desperate uh, with the portal? Well, I think we're probably there, probably there even now. You know, it, it makes complete sense, of course, for for Eric All to consider Iowa because Iowa, of course, as you know, uh, has a legitimate claim to be in tight end view. Uh, that made complete sense, and of course, his his old roomie is taking snaps here now, so that made complete sense. I do think that Eric All is going to be an outstanding addition to us. I think he's going to be a wonderful player for us. Yeah. Um, but the the tougher assignment, of course, is to be able to recruit a receiver that can break the game open, because we've proven that we don't really utilize them very effectively, uh, and we have to live with that. You know, that's the we can still sell opportunity. It's an opportunity for a guy, and and uh, obviously it wouldn't that hard for an accomplished receiver to be able to see him in our starting lineup as a wide receiver. And those are the guys we have to go after. And if it ends up being some kind of NFL and uh, NIL incentive, then that I guess that's okay too. We just need to get him here one way or the other. And you we- answered. You answered part of my question there, Don, because I would think while Iowa has its obvious issues that you would think attracting those kind of talents at wide receiver because of the style of play and because of what's happened in the past in regards to underutilizing those guys, that they should, in trying to attract and lure those kind of players, capitalize on the argument that, you know, this is a this is a high football brand and you have the opportunity speaking to a prospective wide receiver. You've got the opportunity to be the number one guy, the number two guy, the number three to be, you know, integral in this offense. And now we have just signed uh, a championship level quarterback who will, will know how to get you the ball. And, and so we are doing good things in that area and there's opportunity there. Absolutely. Uh, you're right. You're exactly right. You know how many how many championship level football programs have a um, 
easy access to being not just a starter, but maybe being a difference maker for the entire offense. You know, you have that opportunity at Iowa. And Don, let's not forget, I mean, you look at what's going on in Colorado, maybe Deion Sanders will find lightning in a bottle. He's got less than 20 scholarship players on the roster right now until he gets this uh, slew of players in the summer. He's got less than 20 players on scholarship. And there are guys, I brought up the wide receivers there, maybe they're bad eggs, I don't know. But there are guys there that could jump from a program that's completely bare and a coach who makes it all about himself. I know a lot of people like Dion, but let's be honest, he's about himself. Right. And you you bring him, you, you, you transition maybe to Iowa where you get a, a polar opposite head coach in Kirk Ferentz. Right. And a program that's built and stable and a program who's got a great chance of winning the division, Don. I mean, you're exactly right. We haven't discussed schedule, but it's no secret. Uh, you know, we have a very favorable schedule. Last year, the schedule was not so favorable. We had to play both Michigan and Ohio State. This year, we play neither. Uh, and furthermore, if you really look at the schedule closely, those 12 games, exactly one of those teams finished in the top 25 last year. And that's, of course, Penn State. And we get and them early on. We get Penn State early in the year, which I think I'm not saying you're gonna they're going to go on the road and win in Happy Valley, but I wouldn't be shocked if they can get that's, – that's, you know, you had a new quarterback at Penn State, some new faces there. You Probably the better time to catch the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I know they lost some defensive players that are going to be high draft picks too. So they, they have their losses to deal with. And, and the bottom line, of course, it's a, it's a great opportunity. If you look at those 12 opponents again, only five of those teams had winning records last year. And if I'm not mistaken, three of those five teams have to come to Kinnick. Uh, and furthermore, three of the, uh, the programs in the West, of course, have new coaching staffs that, uh, in the case of Purdue, of course, that, that helped to create significant loss of players. There were guys that were taken off that didn't have to take off. But since Coach Braun was leaving, they, they thought seriously about moving on. And uh, as I understand it, the tight end could have had another year, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't, I don't, don't recall about Charlie. If Charlie could have had another year, I think the quarterback could have had another year too. Is that right or not? I think so. I think I think you're right. I think Charlie and Aiden both had one more year. I think. Yeah, but the, anyway, we're catching we're catching Purdue at a good time. Yep. Uh, you know, Wisconsin. I know um, there's been a lot of good things written about the, the transfer quarterback, but you guys are probably both aware, if I'm not mistaken. He threw at least three picks last Saturday. So it's not hard to imagine they're going to have some growing pains. Uh, if they're going to uh, be something other than a traditional Wisconsin offense, obviously. I think Barry Alvarez just cut. <laughs> just said, hey, wife that's enough of here. that. But if it lasts as long as it did last time, we can probably cue Don in like five. There we go. Okay. (laughs) There he is. I apologize, guys. No worries, Don. You're right about Wisconsin, Don. Uh, Mordecai did not look good Saturday. Maybe it was just a bad day. I mean, I I go back to Graham Mertz debut, and he looks like Joe Montana and his whole career. I shouldn't say it's been a disaster. He's going to have a chance down in Florida, it sounds like. But you can't always you – know, we read too far into one practice. You know that better than anybody, Don. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and here's the other thing about it. I want to. There's a disclaimer we should put on this schedule talk. I agree with both of you. When we've talked about this, the schedule is considerably weaker. Part of the reason it's weaker is because you have coaching changes at Wisconsin, Purdue, and Nebraska. But 
The other part of this is we do, we are a part of a, a different era. Now we've not seen this level of, of coaching changes with the transfer portal running right. concurrently. So how quickly can fickle rule and uh, what's his face at Purdue uh, how quickly can they build it? Maybe they build it quicker and maybe they're better than we expected. Like I say, Purdue's great. They, they are landing a number of transfers right now. That doesn't always mean anything. They may not be good fits. We don't know. But they're right. landing, like I said, the wide receiver from FAU is a perfect example. And I know Nebraska has done well in the transfer portal, as has Wisconsin. So right. I do think, I'm with you, I'm b- with both of you, I think it's going to be hard for Iowa to win less than eight games with that schedule. I think... I haven't made a, pr- a final prediction, but if they can at least have some semblance of a passing game, even if it's just, you know, you have, uh, if you can just stay healthy with your top three receivers, if it's Vines, Ragaini, and Bostic, or or sub in Seth Anderson, if those guys can stay healthy, along with the tandem they have at tight end, an improved offensive line, and a running game that's pure, man, I, I see nine or ten wins given the schedule. And if they can if they can upgrade at receiver substantially, get one or two guys out of the portal that are difference makers, and get Seth Anderson back. Now, those are big ifs with hamstrings, but if you can do that, and all of a sudden you have a few weapons and a quarterback that can get him the ball, this team could win ten or eleven games. I think, given the schedule. You know the reality right now, you can only say with any kind of certainty, Iowa will be the underdog in one game. Uh, all those other point spreads, it's not hard to imagine that we might be favored in all 11 other games. Yeah. Uh, and having said that, it's not it's not hard to imagine that we might be a slight favorite in a few of those games, of course, and and um, and at that next moment of the game. You know, we're, we're capable of having a lot of wins, but we're also capable of losing a lot of close games to a lot of teams that match up pretty well with us. A lot of these games appear to be coin toss type of games. Uh, but again, you know, there is an advantage to playing in Kinnick. You'd like to think we can hold serve at home. And then beyond that, of course, uh, if our defense, it's, it's going to be difficult to be as good as last year defensively. I think it all ties into the linebacker position. And that's one of the key transfer also is our linebacker from Virginia. I think he's going to give us a real boost. And then um, I, I do think that Seth has proven himself to be a good linebacker coach. And of course, Goes without saying that our defensive coordinators are cut above any anybody and everybody else's. Illinois lost a slew of talent. I I believe in Brett Bielema. I think he's exceptional. But they lost a slew of talent. Their best running back, one of the leading uh, running backs in the country, Chase Brown, his brother, who's going to be a fairly high pick in the NFL draft, and another corner who was a Thorpe Award finalist, uh, Derek Witherspoon. Uh, so they lose a lot. Uh, does Illinois and. I just, uh, I'm right there with Corey, and we've had this conversation many times. That, um, yeah, thing because of the style of play. To your point, Don, things can break one way or the other, but at the same time, I'm going to trust the defense, the special teams, and a championship level quarterback. And when I call Cade McNamara a championship level quarterback, I'm not touting him as a top five or ten quarterback in the country, but obviously he's proven, he's dependable, he's capable. And, and so I, I tend to trust Iowa in a lot of those what could be razor-close games. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned the kicking game because Drew Stevens is exceptional, and, of course, we've got maybe the best punter in college football. So it's not hard to imagine that head-to-head in terms of kicking game, we may very well win all 12 of those matchups. That's how good our kicking game is. There were big question marks 
in the punt return game last year because of losing Charlie Jones. I don't think there are too many question marks at that spot this year because I think a lot no. of us have quite a bit of confidence in Cooper DeGene. No doubt about it. Don, you're setting us up. I'm sorry, Don. You're setting us up for a situation where we're going to close out the season. Iowa's going to be 11-1 and with like the 103rd-ranked offense in the country, and Corey and I are going to be complaining, and people are going to be like, why are you guys complaining about the offense? We're 11-1. Well, and one. well, I made the comment the other day. I said, uh, Brian's comment, of course, he didn't want to – he didn't have a message for the fans, and and I said I think this is entirely possible with how it plays out. We will once again be very, very frustrating to watch offensively, and yet we will win a lot of football games. And thank God you don't require style points because we wouldn't earn any. But we certainly have have mastered the art in uh, winning ugly, and but, I think um, the it, tradition it, says we'll do it all over again this year. But what Mark just said, I think, is fair. I, there's no way they're 130th in the country in total offense. There's just no way, given the the upgrade at quarterback. Cade McNamara is, to me, such a an upgrade over Spencer Petras. And I know it's apples to oranges when you're comparing the talent level that was around Cade at Michigan and the talent level that was around Spencer at Iowa. But, man, I think just that quarterback change, we've talked about that, has to give you maybe a 20 to 30 spot boost in total offensive rankings, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, Kate is not, um, he's not J.J. McCarthy, I guess, but he certainly can extend plays far better than Spencer Petras. And he's going to have a chance to do that, of course, because that's what a good quarterback does. Uh, I don't think he's going to have too many designed running plays, but he's simply more elusive in the pocket and he throws with more accuracy and he's got outstanding leadership ability. So I don't think there's any doubt we're going to get better play out of our quarterback position than what we've had. And Mark, uh, if I if I could just – I know we haven't spent as much time talking about the defense, but uh, Don, it seems like the strength of the defense is, is going to be the defensive line. They lose probably a first-rounder in Lucas Van Ness. We're going to find out here in a few days. Um, but, man, you, you return Y.A. Black, who didn't play Saturday. Obviously, he's a big guy. Uh, had a really good fall camp last year. You hope he can uh, have a, a strong fall uh, this August. You get uh, Logan Lee back, who's, you know, if he was, if Kirk called him an, uh, uh, a dad of three with a station wagon last media day, then he, I got a, what is he now, an elderly guy? Uh, no offense, Don. Uh, so, I mean, they're going to have lots of people all on that defensive line, lots of bodies, right? I was, uh, I was waiting for you to mention Aaron Graves, too. Oh well, I'm believe me, I'm getting there. But Joe Evans, Noah Shannon, Ethan Herkett's going to play. Max Llewellyn's proven he can play. Deontay Craig, a lot of people are high on Deontay Craig. You got Ontario Thompson who transferred in from Iowa Western. Sounds like he had a really strong spring. Um, and then boy, uh, Aaron Graves, man, uh, that that is that's a lot of talent. I, I can't imagine what they would do if they had Van Ness. But how good can the defensive line be? Well, it's easy for me to project that they're going to be better than maybe they've ever been. Uh, I think that's how strong the front is. And like you said, it, it doesn't really matter who's in there. You you can really rotate as many as eight guys or, or maybe more, at least eight, um, throughout the game. And, and the beauty of that, of course, is you can keep defensive linemen uh, fresh and, and maybe the most that anybody plays is 40 snaps. And in the meantime, of course, that poor old offensive tackle is having to play 65 or 70 snaps. That's a huge advantage for the defense when you're able to play fresher players. 
Don, this is a better placed question like one question ago, but you guys kind of changed topics on me. But I want to just hit this one more time and maybe it's beating a dead horse and Corey and I do it all the time. But it's it's. You know, for a guy uh, that covers college football and talks to a lot of different teams and watches as much as I possibly can every every weekend, I am just mesmerized by this Iowa situation when it comes to the aberration that they are because of the dominance of the defense and the special teams bailing them out. I kind of scratch my head as to when was the last time the offense won a game, let alone didn't get in the way just of the offense or the defense and the special teams. And I think to that Iowa State game, Three or four years ago, 44-41 in Ames, I believe, would be the last time that I would look at a game and say, okay, the Iowa offense won that game. Uh, since then, it's just been, you know, that that uh, opener against South Dakota State last year, that that is just, you know, seven to three without a touchdown, the two safeties by the defense, the field goal drive was five yards. Just you, you don't see this anywhere else in college football it's just astounding how they can be carried by an elite offense or defense and special teams week after week and year after year it's just i don't even know what question i'm asking it's just (laughs) astounding when i and i know you're a statistical guy and i am as well yeah uh just to to see what the aberration of this team is from week to week year to year from that standpoint yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I've done the numbers over the last six, seven years. If you can score a defensive touchdown or a kicking game touchdown, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it, I think it's around 80%, as I recall. You win 80% of the games. Maybe it's not quite that high. Certainly in the high in mid-70s, uh, you win three-fourths of the time if you score a defensive or kicking game touchdown. Uh, and, of course, in our cases, uh, how many times last year, Corey, you probably know the answer. There were at least three games, maybe four, in which the defense actually outscored the offense. Isn't that true? Yeah. Yeah. That's almost unheard of. And I don't you, know if that's ever happened before. You, Mark, you brought up South Dakota State. They also had a 9-6 to six game against Illinois in which they lost. Um, Rutgers. Rutgers. Two defensive touchdowns outscored the offense. Yeah. You know, when I had Steve Dace on here, I went through the entire schedule and outlined how ridiculous each game was. The Iowa State game, what they scored, they scored one touchdown, right? They lost 10 to 7, and that was an interception brought inside like the 20-yard line. No, no, it was a a blocked punt. Or a blocked blocked punt. punt, Recovered inside the 20, and they ran two plays, two run plays for a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And let's not forget the bowl game, of course. Defense 14, offense (laughs) 7. Exactly. It's. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've never seen anything like it. I haven't yeah. either. I haven't either. I, I do recall too, Mark. Uh, you know, in the off season, I have time to do some of this stuff. I was curious. I went back and looked at all of our touchdown drives. I'm talking about drives in which the offense put the ball in the end zone. I'm not talking about punt returns or interception returns, things like that. And over the entire season, I don't remember the exact numbers. I believe it was 37 touchdowns uh, for the offense, which sounds like a lot. But you, wait a minute. Is it that many, Corey? I don't know that it's that many. they scored 37 touchdowns. Yeah, no. maybe not. But I do remember this vividly because I broke it down this way. I was simply asking, how long were these touchdown drives? Because I knew any number of them were less than 50 yards. The truth was one of those touchdown drives was exactly 50 yards. 
and the rest of those touchdown drives were equally divided among those less than 50 and those more than 50. And then when you got up around 80-yard drives, of course, they hardly happened. So the point is, if you're, if you're playing against Iowa, just try to continually give them a long field because they're not going to drive the field. And, and again, I go back to that opener because I was curious. I'm watching a bunch of other games, and then I see that I see that score, and I'm keeping up with the game, but not watching it. I watched the the replay, but I was curious as soon as soon as I saw okay, no touchdowns on seven points, two safeties, and a field goal, and I immediately went to the box score because I wanted to see how long that field goal drive was, and it was five yards. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to make light of it, but it does bring me somewhat of a morbid joy to talk about. Yeah. It's- Let me comment about Drew Stevens for a second, too. Corey, you're not aware of this either. Uh, I was down on the bench, and that was an unusual opportunity. And one of the guys that I know a little bit was, was Drew Stevens. And so um, as I was talking to Drew Saturday, I said, I said, Drew, I don't know if you meet a lot of people. I don't know if you remember me. I'm one of the old coaches. That, that coach with Coach Fry, and he said, Coach Patterson, I remember you. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad you do. And I just want to congratulate you, Drew, on the year that you had as a freshman. I said, I, I told you last fall, I said, I don't know much about place kicking, but I do know this. I always reminded my kids, those PATs need to be right down the middle. That old adage about splitting the uprights, take that to heart. If your PATs are not down the middle, you should be examining why not. Because if it's barely inside the uprights, from 40 yards out or 50 yards out, of course, it's going to be missed. And I said, you took that to heart because your PATs were down the middle. And for that matter, the vast majority of your field goals were down the middle. And uh, he, he thanked me for that. And I said, one last thing, Drew, I want to be sure you understand this. Even at the time, I found myself saying, if Drew Stevens had that last field goal opportunity versus Iowa State, I realize you hadn't been on the field all day kicking, but if they had given you that last field goal opportunity, you would have put that game in overtime. That's how I honestly feel as an old coach. And he said, Coach, I I appreciate that so much uh, because um, it, it just only boosts my confidence. And I said, well, your confidence doesn't need to be boosted because you kicked all year and missed two field goals. Uh, and, Corey, what were the exact numbers? I can't remember. 24 for 24 on PATs, I think. And Yeah. And 16 for 18, maybe. Um, some of which were over 50, you know. So he's got good, he's got good distance in terms of in field goal range, and of course he's very accurate. Uh, one more question for me, Mark, and then I'm I'm good. Um, Don, if uh, it sounds like cornerback and wide receiver are the two positions that I was actively pursuing in the transfer portal, right. Uh, or I should say defensive back. I don't know that it's at corner, but my guess is it probably is. They lose Riley Moss. TJ Hall is back. Uh, I don't know that AJ Lawson has developed like they thought he would when he got here three years ago. Um, I'm not saying he's leaving. Would not be shocked if he does. Um, this is a fair question from Erica. Do you think there's somebody that could be transitioned over to wide receiver? Uh, the only candidates, I would say, based on what I saw Saturday, Don, would be Terrell Washington Jr., who is a f- true freshman coming from Texas. He was a late ad uh, in the early uh, period, yep. and he did enroll early. He was the one freshman to enroll early. Looked pretty good in the backfield, but there have been some comparisons to like a Tyrone Tracy. But he, it did not appear that Iowa's been working him at receiver. 
the only other guy I would bring up would be AJ Lawson. If, if AJ Lawson decides to stay, he's been in the program now three years. He hasn't sniffed the depth chart. Uh, I don't know how good of a, I don't know how good of a, uh, pass catcher he is. I know he played a lot of wide receiver in high school as a lot of these recruits do. Right. Uh, he's six one. He's got a decent frame, but boy, just pure lack of numbers. I can understand where Eric is coming from. Is there anybody you can think of, or is it even feasible to think, Hey, it's, it's, it's post spring. We need somebody in the portal, but we should also look at moving somebody um, from one position to another. Well, I don't think they're prepared to move him right now, but uh, TJ Hall was a very good high school receiver. Uh, his dad was an exceptional college receiver yeah. as well. Uh, but I think with, uh, with all the guys that are on campus now that, did not play last week. I'm talking about your 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 transfer from Coastal Carolina. Is that where he's from? I get, no, I'm sorry. Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern. Yeah, Charleston Southern. Coastal Carolina is now FBS, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. They've moved even, yeah. But, you know, he's got really good potential, I think. And, and um, uh, TJ could do it, but I don't think they want to move him because, you know, the thing that, that uh, I'm sure they're very well aware of – Having one good corner is not nearly good enough. You got to have two, because if you got one, of course, then they're going to throw against the other corner. We saw that in the Nebraska game. Cooper DeGene goes down. They're not going to throw the ball over on number thirty-three side. They're going to throw the ball against those young corners on the other side and took advantage of us. Uh, so you got to have two good corners, and of course, with injury possibilities involving those two, you better have a third corner. As a bare minimum, you better have three they can play championship football because you're going to need a third one, I'm sure, as the year plays out. It's hard to imagine that two corners can handle all the snaps. If they get a strong defensive back, but they swing and miss on their top targets at wide receiver, whoever those top targets are now, like I said, I don't know who they're connected to at present, but if they swing and miss and they they land a big-time defensive back or they just have a lot of confidence in T.J. Hall, Brendan Diaz-Fernandez, uh, Deshaun Lee seemed to have come on during bowl prep. It sounds like he had a nice spring as well. If they have a lot of confidence in those guys, could you look at potential? I know some people laugh at this idea. I don't think it's as laughable as some fans think. Could you look at moving Cooper to Gene over to wide receiver? The only hesitation I have is it's um, we're going to ask him to return punts for sure. Um, I don't think we should put him back on kickoffs because – Kickoffs nowadays don't get returned anyway. So he's not going to get beat up on kickoffs, but he certainly might get beaten up on punt returns. You know, there's, there's always the possibility, of course, of, um, uh, let's face it, you know, if you really want to injure a guy, then go down and clean his clock on a punt and accept your 15-yard penalty. Nowadays, of course, you might get tossed for targeting, but you know what I'm saying. You could hit a punt returner before the ball arrived. And in the case of a guy like Cooper DeGene, you might argue that that's a good idea because you might be eliminating their starting corner as well. Uh, hope I don't want to give anybody any ideas about what to do to Cooper. Uh, but to ask him to also play offense, I think you're asking him to do too much at that well, point. I'm also asking, Don, if, you are, if you're comfortable taking him off the field, you know, say, say you take him off the field for – you know, 10 extra snaps a game and play him 10 extra snaps on offense. So he's not, he's not playing any more than he would. He's just in a different spot. And then you're comfortable with whoever's behind him, whether that be Hall or Deshaun Lee or Jamison Hines or one of those guys. Is that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think especially if, if uh, the other team maybe doesn't have a prolific passing game, you might be more comfortable doing that. 
And, of course, there are ways to protect a lesser corner anyway. Uh, here's a radical thought. Why don't you just consider rolling up to that side of the field and, and taking him out of deep coverage? Uh, you know, there are ways, assuming you have a really good corner on the other side. That was my frustration last year when Cooper got injured. Uh, let Riley Moss be one-on-one, but don't don't allow those freshmen to play one-on-one, especially against a guy like Palmer, who was such a good rec- receiver. He's a 1,000-yard receiver, and he's matched up against our our freshmen. That's not a good idea. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I would hope that Phil Parker would recognize i got to be more proactive because you got to give – uh, that old uh, UMass coach that was the offensive coordinator at Nebraska, Whipple, you got to give him credit. As soon as Cooper went out, they attacked the replacement corners. And that was the difference in the game. Could could Hayden Large be? I know I keep asking more questions, Mark. This is my promise is my favorite. You're good. Final question. Very unique situation with a 6'5 fullback. Converted tight end over to fullback. It looks like Hayden Large is your starter at fullback. We've already talked about the the four guys that appear to be in line to contribute at tight end. It's hard to get all four guys on the field. Uh, basically impossible to get them all on the field at the same time. But with just your thoughts on Hayden Large at fullback, have you seen a fullback that big, that tall? And talk about pros and cons of a guy with height playing that position. Well, I would say you, you've heard that expression, low man wins. Fullback versus linebacker. You'd like to think that your fullback's going to be underneath the pads of a linebacker. Uh, that's a problem for Hayden because he is such a tall guy. But I was impressed with him. And here's one thing you can consider. I, I think you've heard me say this uh, over the past few years, Corey. It's kind of unusual for people to think about doing it. But if you really want to mess with the other team's defensive signal caller, uh, go ahead and show up with personnel that end up lining up in a variety of formations. In other words, you can have Hayden Large on the field, and you might you might project, okay, he's on the field now, so that means it's going to be a two-back offense, you know, a, a pro formation, if you will, because at that point you would call him a fullback and you would identify that as 21 per- personnel, you know, two backs, one tight end. Uh, and yet you could line up and you could put uh, Hayden at an attached tight end position, and if Eric All happened to be the, the true tight end that's on the field – you could put him off in a slot position even because he's certainly capable of doing what Sam did a year ago, either as a slot receiver or even as an outside receiver. And Hayden Large is certainly capable. He's certainly big enough uh, to play at tight end. I don't know what kind of receiver he'd be at tight end, but he certainly should be an accomplished. You should be able to develop him into a, a decent blocker. He, he caught a lot of passes at Dort. Did he? Well, yeah. you know, he's, he's proven he's got pretty good hands. I mean, he – Made a nice catch or two on Saturday, and I have to admit I was impressed with him. Yeah. Uh, so I found myself thinking multiple formations with the same personnel groups. That's smart right. football. Yeah. We need to do more of that. We do very little of that. And here's another guy that might give you that same dimension. That freshman running back you're talking about, Corey. Is it hard to imagine you could put him in the game, and that does not mean you're in two back offense. You know, you, yeah. you might line him up as a wide receiver. You might even go empty. Uh, because just because he's in the game does not mean he has to line up in a running back spot. He could line up as a slot receiver, too. You could show two-back offense with Large and Terrell and end up empty. End up empty. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, that's I think that's a fair point, uh, Don. I I know personally, I'll speak for myself, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Brian's innovation and his ability to see these things because he hasn't proven that. 
But if he could figure out a way during this offseason to utilize what you just talked about, I think you would be a great resource for Brian to rely on. Frankly, that's my opinion. You could maybe overcome some issues with personnel at positions like wide receiver. Well, there's no doubt that there's no doubt that's graduate level football, if you will. That's advanced football. But, you know, we need to we need to demonstrate that we we're capable of doing some of those things. You know, that's the kind of stuff you've always heard me say. I have so much respect for Jeff Brom because in my mind, he was the best play caller in the Big Ten. And I think those offensive numbers that they put up would would back that up. Um, so I'm glad he's out of our hair now. now and and obviously, um, Brian's not the most accomplished play caller. That's about as nicely as I could say it. We have a total on the offensive scoring by the Iowa offense and defense for 2022. Offense, 19 touchdowns, defense, 6. And that obviously doesn't count the defense setting up the offense inside the 10 or the 20 or the red zone. So those are just simply scored by the offense versus the defense. 19 touchdowns total. Yes. Well, I guess it must have been nine touchdowns, less than 50 yards, one that was a 50-yard drive, and then nine that were more than 50. Uh, and the point is, if, if Iowa has a 70- or 80-yard field, the odds of them scoring are very, very slim. That's based on last season. You know, I think back of uh, the the show that Corey and I uh, previewed, the Ohio State-Iowa game, and just because of the two programs being so different, the statistical matchup was just so odd to look at the numbers and the one that stand the two that stand out were at that point in the season Iowa had scored seven offensive touchdowns and Ohio State had scored 46 <laughs> and that Ohio State outscored Iowa every quarter Iowa's Ohio State's offense against Iowa's offense they had outscored them every quarter over Iowa's full game full season total so well, in the first quarter, Ohio State had more scoring than Iowa's total for the season. The second quarter, over the season, et cetera. <laughs> and the problem you run into, of course, if you if you struggle so much offensively, you have no capacity to catch up. Yeah, yeah it's and hard that to imagine against Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, it was the yeah, issue against Nebraska. You know, there's so many examples. One of those lengthy drives, as a matter of fact, was uh, right at the, it was uh, involved the very last play of the game versus Michigan as our. As I recall, Corey, you remember that? That was maybe an 85-yard drive, but it meant next to nothing because it was the game was long since settled, and um, and they scored on the last play of the game, as I recall. All that said, they've got a veteran quarterback, they've got a great defensive line, and of course, um, Phil Parker coordinating that defense. And it's a it's a tremendous program when you put it all together. Just obviously, there are some sore spots that continue. Uh, to hamper uh, the the operation. But uh, against that schedule, it is going to be mighty interesting. Uh, Don Patterson joining us. Uh, Don, thank you so much for supplying us with this hour of time and all this football uh, insight and knowledge. It's just been a joy. Mark, uh, my apologies for the, the problems we had with our connection, but it's an honor for me to be on your program. Uh, Corey knows this. I offer to you and I often watch Corey whether I'm involved or not, I want to know what you guys are saying because you you both do your job so well. So I'm proud to have my name associated with both of yours. Thank you so much, Don. You have a my great pleasure. day. Yep. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Yeah, I knew that would be a great show. You as well. And uh, we enjoy our conversation here each and every week. But obviously, to get Don Patterson involved was... Uh, so thank you so much for asking Don on this week. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate Don being on here. And we'll have plenty of time. I do feel like I've got a a better feel for, for where this team is, although you, you got to temper those those expectations, those uh, inferences, because it's it's one practice. But um, the good news is I think Saturday proved there are strengths of this team, uh, and including one major strength on offense. And that's not that they didn't have a strength there. They were strong there last year, but they were not as strong top to bottom as they are this year. So um, maybe, you know, again, uh, room, like Don said, what his talk about concepts and formations and being innovative, excuse me, um, it gives Iowa fans something to rest some some hope and faith on, um, and there's still there's still time in the portal. Guys are still entering until what the thirtieth, um, so we'll see what happens at receiver. I won't even get started on anything else. We are obviously out of time, but you know, just that last section of uh, conversation brought to to mind a lot of things that we can continue to discuss as we head on through the spring and the summer, of course. Um, as, as Don obviously outlined a lot of things that could be done with his offense, even in the absence or the void of having, you know, outstanding players in particular spots, namely wide receiver. All right, Corey, appreciate you being here. Uh, anything uh, that we need to be looking out for on from the Hawkeye of the storm. It sounded to me uh, in conversations that I've had over the last couple of days that, that we're probably going to get a couple more players in the portal. We had a scholarship player enter the portal um on monday i would not be shocked if we see one or two scholarship uh, excuse excuse me non-scholarship walk-on player entered on monday i would not be surprised if we see one or two scholarship players enter this week um so recruiting transfer portal all that uh, news as it breaks and uh you know we'll be here every tuesday of course so the, the content will continue throughout the month of months of may june and july as we head into another year of football as Corey made me aware of about halfway through this afternoon, as well as uh, just everyone that follows him on Twitter, Iowa did offer the number one quarterback in the 25 cycle. We can discuss that at a later date as well. Real quick, and, real quick. Let me just. Sure. That is not recruiting with a defeatist mindset. Yes. I, I applaud I that. Make that clear. I had somebody that as soon as they offered him, why would you waste your time? And I said, okay, so you're not happy when they do recruit with a defeatist mindset but you're not happy when they don't recruit with a defeatist mindset. So I'm not going to be that guy uh, good on Iowa. I don't know if they have a specific connection to him. I know he, he's from Belleville. Iowa's done well up there. In fact, Deshaun Lee um, is a, tr is a uh, true sophomore uh, who's ascended on the depth chart. It appears at corner. He's from Belleville. Uh, I believe Eric all is Eric all from Belleville. Uh, I think he's from the area as well. So they have, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man, that's, I, when I saw that, I about fell over. But uh, I'm not into I'm not into that level of recruit. I'm not I'm I'm someone who starts looking at recruiting once we get closer to the current cycle. Which you know he's what he's 25, I believe. So you know we're coming up on that class, but it'll be interesting. I mean, he's obviously got offers from all the big names. But if I was offering him, you would think that means they at least. Guy, I was not one of those as we we've talked about. They don't they they're not usually a school that just throws out offers. So it's interesting that they took the time to form some sort of a relationship with this kid and offer him.
Michigan fans, I could see are giddy there in the chat talking up uh, the second rated tight end in the country for 2024 has committed to Michigan just in the last few minutes. And uh, Michigan, Georgia, and Ohio State battling right now for the number one class in the country. But that's, again, a long way to go. Uh, yeah, thank so you. Real quick, real quick, Eric. Is, yep. Yeah, Kayvon Merriweather is the other recent player from Belleville. So they've got Knights, Eric Alls from Ohio, nice routes to Belleville. And you never know, but sometimes those routes are invaluable. I wanted to mention one other thing. A number of you were joining us on the main channel. Corey and I do this each and every Tuesday on the Iowa channel, 4.30 Central Time, 5.30 Eastern. So join us there for college football discussion, obviously focused on the Hawkeyes. Corey, great to see you. Appreciate you doing this as always. And we will be back together next week. Sounds good, sir. Have a good week.